Part one, chapter four of If All These Young Men by Romer Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part one, chapter four A Cosmogony. The next day, Josephine hurried her letters at the office and was able to catch the late afternoon train for Weir. As the long, dirty train drew slowly out of Paddington, she not only felt that she was going away for a holiday but that she was leaving a place where human existence was pushed off into the hours after sunset and was returning for three days into the ordinary world where life was normal she got down from the train at reading onto the platform crowded with soldiers and sailors munition girls and flight mechanics whose last intention seemed to be that of departing by train and pushed her way through the blandly smiling crowd towards the sliding iron gates up and down the station echoed the tin thunder of empty milk cans and the oaths of porters who were throwing cases of dead rabbits from the vans and she had to shout as she asked the ticket girl when the next train left for weir the ticket girl's thoughts were hovering in the middle of the crowd over a soldier with whom she had had her joke and she answered as if she were addressing the world nine thirty only nine thirty next train for underley weir grafton chilling green east newton and oxford as josephine had no desire to sit on the platform for three hours in the ugly little station with the smell of soldiers in her nostrils she went outside and looked at the weather it had rained all day but was now fine and as the time was only half-past six by summer-time that is half-past five by the sun she calculated that by walking very fast she ought to reach boxwell house a distance of little more than six miles before dark the sweet clear air refreshed her after her slow journey in the railway carriage which smelt not only of soldiery but of station gas and as she set out through the town she was glad that there was no train for weir and that she had to walk at the corner of the road in the old town there was a fair in progress and over the top of the striped canvas wall and barricade of gilded caravans she watched the swing boats come up and disappear again and read the names of the racers on the merry-go-round there in yellow words on a red ground high flyer dutchman flying fox eclipse emperor of brazil queen's fancy and many other painted names moved slowly round like a coronet over twenty or thirty wooden steeds which she could not see but she could tell from the oily rhythm of the antiquated tunes how the hobby horses rose and fell in long graceful sweeps as they revolved about the rococo steam orchestra which controlled them she was no less fascinated by the fair than the privates from the royal flying school and the shop girls but she had no time to visit it and feeling not a little romantic went away regretfully singing sweet rose o'grady which the roundabout engine wheezed out upon the evening air sentimental thoughts overcame her and she nearly wept and continued to think of soldiers and girls and sad partings until she came to the crossroads about forty people were standing at the tram junction doing nothing whatever only the oldest among them were talking and nobody moved except one shuffling bent-kneed newsboy who sidled in great haste from group to group with the evening paper after each sale he let out an unnatural and discordant cry which from the headline of the paper seemed to be the word star and when josephine held up a penny he whipped up to her flicked out a paper from the bundle under his arm and yelled again high and loud the headline of the paper announced that haig sent good news but it was no better news than that the battle was not yet lost 
and the british armies were not yet broken although the fifth army had effervesced into a remnant of prisoners she began to dream upon the news and to feel that never would her whole mind come back from the war nor could the tension and quiet agony of her body be changed again to freedom presently she felt her forces move in her and was proud that the burden fell upon her as well as upon the rest of the people and her pride brought her tears back to her eyes as she looked at the commonplace crowd and thought oh all these people how brave at last the oxford road tram came and josephine pushed her way into it all the people in the tram like all the people in the town and in the train and in london seemed to her eyes a little odd and queer more themselves at their best and more simple than usual and as the tram passed through the horrible outskirts of the town she watched the long rows of men and women sitting opposite to one another as if she alone had the power of reviewing the state of patient waiting into which they had fallen and she felt lonely she got down at the tram terminus and at once set off quickly in the direction of underley through which she had to go to get to weir the sun was now nearing the horizon and shone slanting through the clouds directly into her eyes she quickly overtook all the people on the road chiefly wounded soldiers and loitering children and soon passed through the modern village of underley with its stucco and brick villas the road turned south beyond underley and ran between woods upon the left hand there was a copse of hazel and thorn where anemones now shut at close of day in primroses lay among the sodden mould through which bright emerald green shoots of grass were pricking their way the wood was full of glistening raindrops each a little world with its blue sky and its green earth its diamond flash of light and crescent of darkness the frail hazel branches fluttered up and down on the light wind and the raindrops scattered from them with the sound of pearls breaking off a string all through the coppice was a mustiness filled with tender shafts of light and shadow by the declining rays of the sun the memory of the day and the weariness of her mind stood between josephine and the beauty of the country like a sheet of glass she could see but she could not feel the soft air and the quiet of the march evening and she had not yet the sensation of walking in the country the grey road now ran uphill westward and the coppice deepened into a wood presently she passed a white lodge thatched with straw a man was hoeing weeds in the damp and gloomy garden beneath the shadow of the lugubrious elms rhubarb grew in one corner near a shack of wattles and ivy crept over the fences and up the chimney of the house this surely was the last human habitation upon the borders of fairyland built upon the confines of the fairy kingdom and here the elves cast out their enemies the bats toads slugs and fungus in revenge for its proximity the men and women who dwell in such places thought josephine are toad-like and jaundiced and morbid and melancholy and i guess their children if they have any are as sallow and heavy-eyed as hop o my thumb and his brothers soon the road passed out of the wood on to higher ground but the high clay banks covered in patches with the shining leaves of the wild arum with harsh hairy nettles and purple-flowered ground ivy hid the surrounding country from the top of the bank immense elms reared themselves up into the evening sky and cast a faint gloom over the road from the high arch of their leafless branches shining gold and red and purple in the evening sun which was now setting behind the dark western downs the radiant wet sky rose from the south in glassy green 
and passing through all the shades of blue in the north sank into purple clouds behind the pale chalky hills above the river thames for one minute josephine's thoughts flew up like a march skylark into the dome of heaven and then rejoined her body upon the shadowy earth as she walked rapidly forward and she felt like all persons who are hurrying from one place to another detached from life the scene around her lay in an unreal country and an unknown place through which ran a road joining the past and the future in the past she could see her enemy mr blanchard taking dinner with her in a little restaurant a little tiny picture she could see herself quarrelling with susan and directing the clerks in her dirty office a thousand other tiny little pictures of her life in london bubbled up with a thousand replicas of all her friends and at the other end of the road the near future came up as vividly she thought the future's that nobody lives why we haven't got nine lives like the cat but nine hundred and ninety-nine which is the same as infinity and as she elaborated the notion she tramped steadily along the wet high road here was a moment in which to examine human existence being relieved of the burden of it but what was life was it a grand cosmogony capable of cosmographic expression with charted and uncharted seas its mountains of the moon not yet called ruenzori still heroic and terrible its unknown sea allowing for infinity its unknown beginning allowing for god was not life in its more scientific aspect rather a name for the point of contact of a million million progressive movements or again perhaps the constant of a million million changing circumstances was life the universal present receding from one finity and approaching another is infinity only a concept of man's imagination every material thing known to man is finite here loom up the mountains of the moon here begins the deserta incognita of herodotus what was the chimera of infinity or the notion of the primum mobile out of what did man create god then josephine wondered if indeed she were the centre of creation if it were not from her point lopsided and there followed common speculations do ghosts exist she thought and there came back to her the memory of the ghost of a man who had been killed in france which she once saw above the ripe cornfields by an august sea since then august and the slate blue sea and fields of corn had been part of her heaven then memory faded and she continued now in idle fancies and asked herself whether after all creation were not a toy in the hollow of a hand whether it were not the imperfect realization of the absolute whether those austere believers in the court of god did not enunciate the truth in their irrational irrefutable exaltation of before time was i am vaguely and without troubling whether her thoughts were nonsense or not she hurried on her way now she passed a group of cottages glowing in the evening light in the garden of one of which a white plum-tree shone and underneath it several children were teasing a cat diddle-dee-diddle-dee-dumpty the cat's gone up the plum-tree she sang to a tune of her own that had all the essentials of a debased folk-song but which she thought satisfactory enough having begun to sing she continued she sang in french she sang in english a jumble of pure rubbish there was nobody to make her responsible for it therefore she sang at the top of her voice au que je pour que mon amour soit mort and followed it with nous n'irons plus au bois le laurier sont coupés 
late evening was creeping over everything and tears came into her eyes as she sang her patched-up version of the song with melancholy sentiment here the road left the higher ground and began to descend into weird plain the last gleam of sunlight had left the plain which might have been a mile across and already the dampness of evening rose from it in a light mist above the road stood the dark cavern of huge elms and low in the hedges gleamed misty blackthorn and silver buds of traveller's joy down in the gutter the spring water bubbled and everything gave out a sweet wet odour josephine could see weir in the distance under the rising hills the smoke from its chimneys hung over it like mist unable to rise into the humid air for the wind had fallen and everything was quite still josephine went on in the twilight past the turning to old hall in the marshfield lane and wondered if it would not be quicker to go across the marsh and up past leland's farm or whether she should go straight on through the village and up the hill but she was uncertain whether the floods were out and doubtful of finding her way across the marshy pastures in the dusk and therefore decided to keep to the high road the road across the flat seemed long and lonely and she was glad to hear two men who were raking the live coals out of a traction engine cry good night to which she answered good night at length the first house of the village came in sight and the roof of spinner's boathouse the light was now very dim so that it was impossible to discern the features of people and the world came back to josephine as if coagulating out of dreams on she went through the village where people were standing in groups talking about the war and the scarcity of food she hurried past them as if she had still a long journey to go and turning sharply to the left in the middle of the village went past the crown hotel and past the post-office and the colour-washed keys and vine from a lighted window of which came sounds of comic songs and rude merrymaking full of the shrill giggles of girls turning now to the right she began to mount the steep hill behind the church whose green clock showed dimly that it was ten minutes past eight she hoped she would be in time for dinner at boxwell house soon she left the church and the white forge where iron hinges and gates were wrought in the intervals of shoeing horses and where the smith's greatest accomplishment an iron arum lily in its leaf was fixed up on a holder beside the door sweet and pleasant sensations of recognition passed over her as she hurried up the hill and crusting it came out through the footpath behind mr swain's to the back gate of boxwell house impatiently she hurried through the laurel hedges and the little spring garden where under lime and almond trees daffodils and polyanthus glowed in a mist of blue grape hyacinths in a moment she was out upon the circular pebble drive before the house and her journey was over the last gleam of day had almost vanished and the stucco house built in the queen anne style with green windows and a grey slate roof stood cold and white above the garden like a box put down by some giant hand skep-like over a swarm of human bees whose buzzings came out of the honey-coloured windows there stood the house as if lit by one vast candle after the manner of the little china houses made in those days when people had night-lights placed upon the shelf within the curtains of the four-poster bed and as josephine looked at it she had the idea for a moment that it was too small to enter End of chapter 4 Recording by Expatria in Bangor, Maine